Hey guys, welcome to episode number 40 of the Mimi B Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard, and you're listening to the Mimi B Magazine podcast, a lifestyle podcast all on health, relationships, sex, career, and self-development. This podcast is designed to entertain, inspire, and to motivate you to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey everyone. Oh my goodness. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. This is like one of the best episodes I think so far on the Mimi B podcast if you like health. So JJ Virgin is a top celebrity nutritionist. She's based in the States and she's literally famous there. So she has been on Dr. Oz, The Today Show, Rachel Ray, Access Hollywood. She was the health expert for Dr. Phil. She was the co-host host of TLC's show Freaky Eaters, which is hilarious if you haven't seen that. She also speaks regularly and she's shared the stage with people like Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, and Dave Asprey, who's my fave. JJ is also the author of four New York Times bestsellers, The Virgin Diet, The Virgin Diet Cookbook, JJ's Virgin Sugar Impact Diet, and JJ Virgin's Sugar Impact Diet Cookbook. So she does a ton. She's an absolute expert, and I am so excited for you guys to listen into today's episode. So really quickly, before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to quickly let you know my results for the hormone test that I did. I did a female hormone test, and it was like an at-home kit, and I am so happy that my results are normal. I literally got a graph of like all of my hormones and the exact levels of where I'm at, which I'm really happy about. I found this test on letsgetchecked.com. I'm really happy I found them because they do so many different tests, and I actually did a few of them, but the one I want to talk about is the female hormone test because that one I think is really important to know if you're a woman and yeah it could tell you if you'll be infertile or what your what your hormones are and what you should be worried about so it's really important to do now and I'm really happy I did it I literally just did a blood prick test on my finger at home sent it in like two days later got a call got my results and it's really cool so I'm actually working with them and I have a discount code for you guys to save some money. If you just write in Mimi15 under discount code when you check out, all of these tests are like 30 pounds to like 100-ish pounds, I think, and they have so many. So you can test your cortisol like I did. My cortisol is also normal, um, which I'm kind of surprised about because I'm pretty stressed as a human. And then thyroid, cholesterol, liver, kidney, bowel, obviously the female hormone test that I did too. They have an HPV test. You can do like at-home testing for that. Vitamin D to B. They have an iron test, diabetes test, omega test, sexual health test. They have literally everything you can dream of. They have some stuff for men as well. So if you're a man listening, I got you covered. Just use Mimi15. It's not case sensitive at checkout and you will get a little discount. Anyway, moving on to today's episode. So pumped for you to hear it. Here we go. Hi, JJ. How are you doing today? I am good. Glad to be here. I'm so glad to be interviewing you as well. You are in LA, aren't you? I'm in San Diego. San Diego. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in London, so our time difference is quite far off. It's like nighttime for me now. Yes. I love London. Love. Oh, yeah. Do you come often? 
Uh, not as much as I'd want to, but we will see. I've got some business things brewing there. So hopefully in another year or two, it'll be more often. Oh, amazing. All right. So I just want to dive right in. You've written four best-selling books and your whole food philosophy is just so admiring. And I really believe in all of the stuff you promote, basically. I just want to ask you, like, what do you think your food philosophy is? If you could just sum it all up in a whole for our listeners. All right. So it's actually a bigger philosophy. It's actually more of a diet philosophy. And I see that there, here's my big um, issue is we actually are using one word. You know how they talk about Eskimos have like 50 words for snow and we have one. Mm -hmm. I think we have an issue in that there's diets and there's how we eat. And so what I believe is that we need to use diets therapeutically for an outcome to figure out, like for me, I wrote The Virgin Diet, and it's all about figuring out which foods work for you and which foods don't based on food intolerance. So you can design an eating plan that works for you for the long haul. Same with Sugar Impact Diet. It's figuring out you know, where sugars are sneaking in, but also how many carbohydrates you really should be eating. Should you be keto? Should you be eating more carbohydrates so that you can figure that out? But again, we're getting a snapshot. This may be different in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 70s, 90s, you know. And so how you how you use a diet to me is very different than how you eat all the time. And in fact, I remember some studies coming out that showed that what we need to do to lose weight is not what we need to do to maintain the weight. And so my food philosophy is that we should take a diet, use it for an outcome, get that outcome, and then work the information in to design something that's going to work for our lifestyle, our goals, et cetera. And then we get that really going. And then we go, all right, now what's the next step? And we really focus on one thing at a time rather than saying, I'm going to, I'm going to take these foods out of my diet. Then I'm going to like stop snacking. Then I'm going to start meditating and I'm going to do some tapping and exercise and sleep. And it's like ridiculous, you know, and it just sets everybody up to blow up. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's so much. It's so overwhelming. If you haven't done any of those, you just have to kind of add them on gradually for sure. Exactly. Exactly. I love the book um, by Gary Keller called The One Thing. It's a business book, but it's really a life book when you look at it is how do you get to be more successful? You pick one thing at a time. You totally focus on it. You create new habits. And when you got that dialed, go to the next thing. But don't mm-hmm. like try to create 10 new good habits at once. You'll get no good new habits on. That makes so much sense. It's like you want to master that one thing, master and then move on to the next. Don't just like half-ass 10 different things for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the virgin diet. This was your first book, right? It's actually not my first book. Oh, it wasn't. (laughs) Okay. So book. (laughs) Did you Uh, write the virgin diet or the sugar impact diet first? Well, I wrote some other books before those. Oh, okay. okay, okay. um, Yes. But I wrote the virgin diet first and it all came out of something that I've been obsessed with forever. And it is Um, not a term that people use very much. I think they think of it more like weight regain, but it's weight loss resistance. What gets in the way of you losing weight or can cause you to hold on to or gain weight? And really, I just say that because having being over fat, because you can be overweight, not over fat, as we know, is just a sign that things are not working well. We shouldn't be over fat. And, and there's, and you cannot be healthy and be over fat. 
So that whole idea that you can be fit and fat, I remember there was a book written like 30 years ago that with that title, I'm like, no, you cannot be fit and fat. <laughs> you know, mm. you're, you're fit or you're fat and, and being over fat's not healthy. But I, what I saw that was driving me crazy, Mimi, was there's this idea that if you're, if you're overweight, if you're over fat, being used as interchangeably, that you must be lazy, that you must be, you know, eating, you know, cupcakes and, and cookies. And what I saw with clients was that these people were trying harder than average. They were eating less than average. They were exercising more than the average person and they were struggling. And so I, that's when I started looking going, wow, your body isn't a bank account. It's a chemistry lab. We have to look at all of the things, you know, hormones dictate um, dictate this. We've got to look at your body like the chemistry lab it is and figure out what is going on. Why is someone who is, you know, eating less, less often, who is exercising, not able to lose weight? What else is going on? And there's so many things that can impact your body's ability to lose weight. So that's so what are it? Yeah, that's where the virgin diet came from. It was one of the things. And I had a really smart agent who goes, don't talk about all those things. You'll overwhelm everybody. <laughs> and yeah. she was right, right? <laughs> yeah. So what are the because I know there's seven foods that you say to avoid on the virgin diet when starting out. What are those seven foods and why? Yeah. So here's what happened. So I had all these different things that I was looking at. I actually taught a course to doctors and I went around the country teaching doctors all the things you could get in the way of you losing weight. One of the things was a food sensitivity test that I was using to identify which foods would work for someone and which foods wouldn't. I started doing this with tons of doctors. And so I was looking at results of hundreds of patients, then thousands of patients. And what I started to see was that the same foods always showed up. It was always the same foods. And when we pulled those foods out, people would walk in and they'd be having issues with uh, gas and bloating, joint pain, headaches, fatigue, skin problems, brain fog, and they couldn't lose weight. They had food cravings. We would pull, we'd do the test, find out which foods it was, pull them out. All those symptoms would go away and they'd start dropping weight. After a while, I thought, you know, while we're waiting for the test results to come back, I'll just pull the foods out, the most common ones. And there were six of them. And then I started to realize that we were getting the same results <laughs> without the test. And mm -hmm. I had to add, so at the time it was six because it was gluten, dairy, and soy. Uh, gluten, dairy, and eggs were the top offenders. And then the second tier were soy, corn, and peanuts. Then I added in sugar because one of the big reasons we develop a food intolerance is because of sugar and artificial sweeteners. They disrupt the gut microbiome mm. and can cause leaky gut. Um, but I also realized that if I didn't pull out sugar, that people, when you pulled out gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts, that they would go immediately over and start eating sugar. I was like, oh my gosh, stop it. Mm. And it doesn't mean that with these seven foods that you can never eat those foods again. The goal is really to help people understand which foods work for them and which foods don't so they can design their diet. I, I believe that we're better off without gluten. It does a lot of disruption to the body. It causes um, gut permeability, can cause insulin resistance and leptin resistance. So I'm not a fan of gluten and I'm not a fan of dairy. I mean, if we had grass fed and finished raw dairy that was fermented, that'd be one thing, but that's not what people are, are having. They're having just mm -hmm. garbage. And soy creates a lot of problems, a lot of endocrine problems, can lower thyroid function. And, and of course, corn is just a big GMO crop that turns into sugar. And peanuts have a lot of mold and lectins. And 
Um, eggs, eggs are the one outlier to me because uh, I found that a lot of people reacting to eggs, they can really trigger autoimmune problems. But if you can handle them, I can now rotate them into my diet. I just make sure I have pastured eggs. And that's the, that's the key differentiator is it's not that just that we are what we eat. It's also we are what we eat. We eat eight. And there's, you know, just as you know, a big difference between, say, um, pastured pork and regular pork. There's a big dis- difference between wild fish and farm fish. There's a big difference between factory chicken eggs and pastured eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, pastured, is that, is that the same as organic? Because in no. London, okay, what's the difference? Because in London at the, you know, the Whole Foods and stuff, like I when I'm buying eggs or I'm buying meat and stuff, it, it always just says organic, never pastured. I don't know if they use that term often here. Um, yes, it's not the same, sadly enough. It's just like you can have um, organic and not wild um, or organic meat and it can still not it can still not be grass finished. So pastured organics going to mean that they had organic feed and they had they didn't shoot them with antibiotics. And I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but I'm assuming pastures another level. It's just like grass finished beefs another level. So mm. you really want to go search it out. And it may be that you have to find the farmers, you know. Um, yeah. Sadly enough, the hardest food to get healthy, which is crazy because we always thought this was the healthier food, is chicken and chicken eggs. Mm. Yeah. So I don't, though, want to scare people off of food. I always think that you have to make the best you have to make the best choice with what you have at the time, right? But there are certain things like, you know, you don't want to eat farmed fish that have been jacked up with with hormones and antibiotics, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So going to what you said about gluten, I totally agree with you. I've recently read the book Grain Brain by Dr. David oh, Brunner. David Such is the book. most awesome guy. He is fantastic and just a sweetheart too. Like just yeah. a great big shout out to him. It's a fantastic book and he's a fantastic human being. You just know everyone in the health world, don't you? <laughs> well, you know, we all we all go to the same things together and hang out. So. <laughs> yeah, when I was looking at your Instagram, I was like, followed by Dave Asprey. And I was like, what? She's followed by Dave Asprey. I love his stuff. Dave Asprey's so my funny. one of my very best friends on the planet. He walked my mom down the aisle at my wedding. Oh, my God. That is so funny. That's amazing. Yeah, funny. My wedding was Dave and Dr. Mark Hyman and Dr. Kelly Ann Petrucci and Robin okay. Openshaw. And, you know, That's like, like me fangirling so hard right now. <laughs> but you're over amazing. in the UK. It's just if you were here, you'd probably be hanging out with everybody too, right? Yeah, for sure. And oh, my God, it was so funny. When I first discovered um, Dave Asprey's book, I was like, I need to get his collagen protein bars and stuff. And I ordered like 200 pounds worth of protein bars to ship to the UK and they got stopped at the border because uh, apparently yeah. they weren't allowed to go through. And I was just like, no, so bad. But when I go to, cause I actually am originally from Canada. So uh, I'm going okay. back next month for the holidays and I'm going to pick some up. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, that's yeah. The gluten thing for sure. I completely agree. I haven't really included gluten into my diet for almost a year now and I feel way better. And you know what? I have people telling me, like, cause I have quite a lot of nutritionists and health experts on the show and stuff. And some of them say to me, like, listen, it's all about balance. Like you can have gluten if you're not intolerant and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but gluten is, 
is in, you know, breads and crackers and pastas and stuff like no natural foods really have gluten in them. So it's like if you're eating gluten, it's kind of I don't know. I just it's so easy to take out of your diet, I think. And I feel so much better without it. So who have you ever heard say I pulled gluten out of my diet? And then I put it back in and I don't notice a difference because I can tell you that everyone who I've had pulled gluten, I mean, like I can't say 100%, but I believe the small percentage, say 10% who don't notice a difference, didn't really get it out of their diet. But when you pull it out, you notice a difference. It's pro-inflammatory. It raises insulin. It causes um, gut permeability. So it just isn't something we should be eating. Now, if we were eating einkorn wheat and uh, we were, you know, soaking the grains, that's different, but we're not doing that. It, the big caution here, though, is just because you pulled gluten out, don't buy that gluten-free garbage. Food that, that is gluten-free shouldn't have to have it on the label, like avocados and mm-hmm. you know salmon and nuts, right? So absolutely. don't go to absolutely. process gluten-free junk food because that's not the answer. Sometimes it's even worse for you, right? Because there's so much more additives and the ingredient list is so much longer. And yeah, I stay away. I stay away from that as well. (laughs) Yeah. So for the egg thing, I want to know more about this because I don't eat eggs every single day, but I do get like the really good quality, um, uh, the the organic. And I don't know if they're pasture, but they they must be. They're from a farm near London and they're gorgeous brown eggs. Yeah. Yeah. So I get those. Just do some research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I even like Googled, like, you know, I I do my research on food for sure. But for eggs, like, you really because I've done food intolerance tests before I've done two, and both of them have said the same thing. I'm um, intolerant, but not very intolerant, just like mildly intolerant to flax seeds. um, What was it ginger and almonds? And so there's something to caution here, because there's different types of food sensitivity testing. And mm. some of them can have false positives. Mm, so, really? Yes. So so there's a couple that will like I, I just I have someone coming to one of my events and had this long list of things. Now, if you're reacting to a lot of foods, that's a sign of a very leaky gut, and that's the bigger issue. Or you could have toxicity issues. But if you have weird little things, you ha- it may be a food sensitivity if you did the right type of testing, which is this IgG for and remember you have to be eating the food in order for you to react to it but if it's a low low um reaction you pull it out for say a month and then you just rotate it in and see how you feel and remember yeah. with the food sensitivity tester even if you're doing food sensitivity um you you did like the virgin diet doesn't mean you're intolerant to the food forever it just means that at this moment this food isn't working for you you need to heal your gut and then see how you do Mm-hmm. Because your gut lining, you know, it, it rebuilds itself over the span of what, a few months, right? So you can usually within, it depends on how intolerant it is and how damaged your gut is, anywhere from one to three months, and you can come through this. Mm-hmm. And then what you're doing to rebuild it, you know, things yeah. like glutamine powder, um, freshly ground flaxseed meal, applesauce, fish are all things that really can help the gut. Some, you know, good pre and probiotics. So it just depends what else you're willing to do. Fermented foods, if you don't have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, all those things can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I've, I actually have not cut those foods out of my diet because I've never noticed it making me feel bad. So I don't eat it as often, I guess, but I, I'll still have my almond butter and my flax seeds and you know my ginger tea sometimes. So I'm not too fussed. 
Yeah, I wouldn't like those are so nuts can be one that people can have issues to. It's rare for it to be ginger, though. That's kind of a weird random right? that I'd be kind suspicious about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it makes me feel good when I have my, you know, hot lemon and ginger tea. It's like one of those cleansing things for me. Yeah, um, sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. So those seven foods you avoid for a few months, you kind of help your gut uh, rebuild itself and then you slowly introduce them in, right? Well, I pull all the foods out for at least three weeks. Longer is better. At some point, I like people to go back and one by one um, re-challenge each food. And the minute they feel that they notice an issue with it, they stop. So if they notice it within the first hour, two or three that they eat it, I have them go for three days because sometimes it can take that long. But I will tell you that I don't believe people should be eating gluten, dairy, soy, and corn anyway. They're just not health foods. It's just whether you have to be like absolutely avoidant because I know that if I do gluten or dairy, I react. Mm -hmm. I feel crappy. So I'm very, very careful about it. Or if you can just, you know. If, if it snuck into something, you wouldn't feel absolutely horrible. So Okay, absolutely. So what do you think about fruit? Because I personally, I follow a healthy, higher fat diet. I'm mostly, you know, plant focused. So I eat a ton of vegetables. Um, you know, I eat some berries and stuff sometimes. And if I'm in the mood for sweet potato, I have that too. I kind of practice intuitive eating as well. So that's my diet at the moment. I do have, you know, some organic eggs sometimes and some wild salmon and some organic chicken. Don't eat too much other meat. But um, wh- what do you think about fruit? Because so many people, this is such a contradictory, you know, uh, the fruit thing. It's just such a, like some people think it's so bad because it's sugar and it equals, you know, to seven packets of white sugar or, and other nutritionists say that it's a natural food. You can eat it. So here, this is why I wrote the sugar impact diet, all of this confusion. And the answer is it depends. And I always hate that answer. Um, First off, fruit is very different than juice, which, you know, an apple, apple juice is is worse for you than a soda. It's higher in fructose. So and dried fruit is candy and fruit concentrates or jams or syrups. So those are not fruit and those should not be included. So dried fruit fruit juice, fruit concentrates, and jams are garbage. They are too high in sugar. They've been processed. Stay away. Mm -hmm. Regular fresh fruit is different, but here's the real issue with it. It really depends on what's going on with you. If you are pre-diabetic or insulin resistant or diabetic or have elevated triglycerides, fruit is not your friend. You need to heal your body first because Fruit is, you know, we we get fructose now in so many different things, but we first started getting fructose from fruit. And granted, it's it's with fiber and phytonutrients, so that helps. But if you've already got elevated triglycerides, if you've already got, say, fatty liver, fruit's not going to be a helpful thing here. So, but assuming that those are not issues, one or two pieces of fruit a day can be totally fine. But fruit is not free food. Just because it's in fruit doesn't mean your body doesn't recognize it as sugar. It's still sugar. So that's mm-hmm. the deal. The only difference is you've got fiber that helps temper the bl- the t- blood sugar response and you've got fi- nutrients that help too. So not free food. If you're healthy, one or two pieces. If you've got elevated triglycerides, insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, fatty liver, out until you fix those. All right, good. I like that answer because I guess sweet potatoes and starchy vegetables kind of fit into that same category. 
Well, this is where sugar impact diet really comes in. What I did was I looked at foods and I looked at roots, fruits, grains, um, dairy, drinks, sweeteners, and sauces. And then I rated them high, medium, or low sugar impact. And I based that on how much fructose is in it, how much the the food raised your blood sugar or insulin, because foods can raise your insulin and not your blood sugar, which is worse. And then I contrasted that with fiber and nutrient density. So if you look at something like a potato, it's high in resistant starch. So even though it's like seems like it should be high sugar impact, I actually moved it to medium sugar impact after I wrote the book. Of course, it's always after it's published. You <laughs> want to make changes. Um but French fries obviously would be high sugar impact, right? So a sweet potato is medium sugar impact. But if you make a sweet potato like we do in the U.S. for Thanksgiving and load it with like sugar, which I've never understood like why you're putting sugar on a sweet potato, but we put like candied pecans and sugar mm-hmm. on sweet potatoes for Thanksgiving. I'm like, no, no, no. And marshmallows. I think marshmallows the other thing they put mm-hmm. in there, which is just disgusting. Uh, <laughs> So it really depends how you prepare these things. A lot of those are medium sugar impact where I'd say like a sweet potato's medium sugar impact in terms of it's um, how much it raises blood sugar because it's got a lot of fiber and nutrients, but squashes and pumpkins are low sugar impact. Yay. I love, I literally just had some squash for lunch. It was so yummy. Yeah. It's one of the, my, it's like such a big superfood. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm obsessed. They're in season, obviously, right now, and I'm obsessed with them. Yes, good. It's a good thing. Like in um, Sugar Impact Diet, the big foods that really got pumped, besides non-starchy vegetables, which we all know are squashes and pumpkins and beans. And this is where I'd say I kind of fall in the paleo camp, but I'm sort of paleo plus because I think legumes are a great food. And everyone thinks figure freaks out about the lectins, but you don't eat you don't eat dry beans. You soak them, so you reduce mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And they're a great source of fiber as well. Yes, huge source of fiber and really helpful on um, with helping balance blood sugar. Yeah, that's great. So do you, would you eat like the can type or would you always soak them yourself? Oh, I never do that. I'm the laziest. I'm like queen lazy chef. I'm never <laughs> going to soak them myself. I do the can, you know. Okay, so. that makes me happy. Now I can no. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so, able, I honestly have never been successful on the whole soaking them. Like I end up with mm-hmm. like a, a big wet rock situation. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it never seems to work. <laughs> and they're always way harder than the canned ones. Yeah. So why make, why make eating healthy hard on yourself? Like there's enough hard things in life that doesn't need to be one of them. Like I look at it, you know, I know people will do like make their own marinara or make their own bone broth. I'm like, Oh, forget it. You know, I can, (laughs) I've got people that do that. I don't need to. (laughs) So what do you think about, because I don't eat much sugar at all. Like I actually never eat sugar unless the rare occasion I have fruit or I'm craving something natural that has natural sugar in it. Um, But I do use stevia and there's some controversy there as well. Oh, I what think do that's you think? ridiculous. They need to read the research. I don't buy okay, that Okay, it's all. fine, right? It is yes. okay. I mean, if you look okay. at stevia, stevia and monk fruit are two of my favorites, um, also known as lohango. And if you read about them, they actually are good for you. So, uh, you know, I see that and I go, go read the research. You show me really where there's a problem because I don't buy okay. it. The only thing Great. is you want to watch anything you're doing that's sweet because when you eat sweet, it makes you want more sweet. So, and you want to make sure that you're not creating any 
um, issues with overeating from that and mm. waking up your taste buds. So that's where I'd like to be careful. Mm-hmm. It's more just like after dinner, if I have a sweet tooth, I'll make like, I made this yummy like, keto bark. So it's just like coconut uh, butter, coconut oil, whatever, um, mixed up with like cacao nibs and coconut flakes and some stevia. And then you put it in the freezer and it's like this delicious bark and it's so good. So I have like Yum. a little piece of that. Wow. Yeah, it's literally amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so what else do I want to ask you? So much to ask you. You talk a lot about skin. You talk a lot um, when when you're discussing the virgin diet online. You talk about how it can help with rosacea, acne, psoriasis, and stuff. But like, how can foods do that instantly? That's crazy. Oh my gosh! So I struggled with acne from like age eleven on, and literally, I tried everything. I went on like toxic drugs. I mean, everything. And then, and I was always, I kept, it's probably why I never had a sweet tooth. Like I pulled all the sugar out. I stopped eating sugar because back then it was like, it's the sugar, it's chocolate, blah, blah, blah. Chocolate does zero to my skin. It never breaks me out. And Mm -hmm. I don't eat sugar, so that's not an issue. But the big needle mover was dairy. And the minute I pulled dairy out, and I find for a lot of people, dairy and eggs can be problematic. Now for rosacea, beyond just the issues with say spicy foods and alcohol and caffeine, What I see with rosacea that is so big is not having enough stomach acid. So for rosacea, if you really like with all of these things, you know, if you're not digesting things well, if you don't have good digestion, you're not feeding your your body well, you will wear it on your face. And so what you want to make sure is you're eating a low inflammatory diet that you've got good healthy fats that you're digesting and you're digesting your protein. And I find for a lot of people, if they low stomach acid, which if you're over the age of 30 or under any kind of stress, you probably do, then you may have rosacea due to that. So if you pull dairy, like do the virgin diet, eat an anti-inflammatory diet, get in good healthy fats, make sure you're digesting your protein. I mean, I see miracles with skin and literally in a matter of days. I mean, literally it was like three to four days, my skin turned around. I'm like, I mean, like you're happy and irritated at the same time, you know? That you didn't know it or that you didn't do you're it like, earlier. Please, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So I've actually, my face skin is very clear. I'm so thankful for that. But my arms, I have rosacea and I have literally since I could remember, since I was like eight or something, I've had rosacea on my arms and there are little bumps and I use all the special creams and this and that. And I've cut out literally everything for a period of time just to test it out and I don't feel like anything is working. How would I, if it's a stomach acid issue, how would I like balance my stomach acid? I take a good probiotic. Like I do everything right. It feels. Okay. So what I would test is I would go and get something called betaine HCL. Um, because I would imagine a lot of the audience, I want to make sure that people in UK can do this because I would imagine you've got a a lot of people in the UK. Um, Yeah. And betaine HDL HCL um, is my favorite HCL hydrochloric acid HCL. Mm. And so that's my favorite to use. Um, Or you can try some proteases. Those are um, that will, those are protein enzymes. And then you just do a trial. Like a cream? No, no, no. It's a pill. Okay. 15 minutes before you eat, you take one. And you see how you feel. If you don't notice anything, the next time you eat, take two. And you keep taking it till you feel the mildest burning in your chest. And then at that point, you back it down one. You also make sure you're not drinking a ton of fluids with your food because that can dilute stomach enzymes. 
Oh, I always drink so much water, like right after I eat. <laughs> so what you want to do is drink a lot of water up to an hour before you eat, you know, and then start drinking water, you know, 30 to 60 minutes before you eat, stop. And then uh, again, like start eating, start drinking water, maybe an hour after you eat, just give yourself that time. Amazing. I'm going to try this. I have them both written down. I'm so excited. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully sure. this helps. But I do drink coffee and that's something that I have been going off and coffee. on on. I know me too. I've been going uh-huh. off and on for so freaking long. And then Why? I'm like, oh no. Well, cause you know, like I speak to a lot of um, health people on this podcast and I had, do you know, Sahara Rose? Uh-uh. No. Okay. So she's big in Ayurvedic health and she's um, like a very holistic, like natural, like, you know, no caffeine if I'm a Pitta, because that means in Ayurvedic health, a Pitta mm-hmm. is uh, somebody who has like a more fiery um, personality in their insides, like everything, I, you know, spicy food and caffeine doesn't really work well with me apparently. But I just, I feel great when I have, like I have a bulletproof coffee in the morning and I just don't want to give it up just yet. So I, I've been going back and forth from that. So so I I think coffee is a health food um, if you're using bulletproof beans because they're mycotoxin free, as you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and organic. And that's super critical because it's a high pesticide, high moldy risk crop. But, you know, I think it more has to do with your genetics. Are you a fast or slow caffeine metabolizer? What's going on with your adrenals? So I go from that direction. You know, my training is not in Ayurveda. So mm-hmm. um, so that's that's where I would go with it. I would only worry about caffeine if someone had rosacea. Um, so and then I would do a trial and I would see, like, how do you do without it? And if it makes a difference, great. If it doesn't, then that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's that's the thing. I, I will never have a coffee if it's not a, a coffee mixed and blended with a fat, like coconut oil or grass-fed butter, just because it gives me that crash if I if I have a black coffee, like I crash mm-hmm. right after. It's so weird how if it's mixed with fat, like I can I have that as breakfast that I do intermittent fasting. So I just I have that, you know, I get on with my morning, maybe do a little workout, and then I feel satiated all morning and I don't even have a craving until my body tells me it's ready to eat and then I eat. So that's how I like to start my day and I feel so good doing that. So I think I'm going to keep doing that. I think you've found your thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know you uh, also like to do intermittent fasting. Um, What do you say to people that are like, oh, no, I need to eat six small meals a day? So find out why they think that is. Yeah. Because the deal is it's you got to always look to what's what is that telling your body? Well, what happens when we eat? First of all, where did they get that information? Because that was the information we had 20 years ago. And all of a sudden I looked at that and I go, why am I telling people this? When you eat, you raise blood sugar. If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have to have fasting lab work. So when you eat, you you raise blood sugar. If you raise blood sugar, you raise insulin. Insulin moves slow. Blood sugar moves fast. Insulin drives blood sugar back down. And if you eat again within an hour or two or three, like they tell you to have breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, which is so ridiculous. Eat before you go to bed. I've never gotten that. But um, so you eat and then you eat again. Well, your blood sugar is coming down, but your insulin's still up. So you keep your insulin high all throughout the day. If your insulin's up, it's pro-inflammatory. And it's also meaning your body can't access stored fat for fuel. And it's just making you hungry. It's turning you into a sugar burner, not a fat burner, which means you're going to have higher fasting blood sugar, higher insulin. You're going to have trouble losing fat, especially around your waist. You're going to be using, you're going to have trouble going more than two to three hours between, between eating because you can't 
access your stored fuel, you're having to rely on incoming instead. It just makes no sense whatsoever. The biggest challenge with nutrition is that people think because they eat, they're a nutritionist. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I always want to look at it. It's where is the science and all of these things? Where is the mm-hmm. science and who funded it? <laughs> yeah, that's another big one, isn't it? Yep. Massive. Yeah, so true. Like the breakfast companies and stuff funding all of that. I think yeah, it's crazier so, in the States. Like, way, like I, I read about the food industry all the time, and all these crazy things I hear <laughs> happen in the States a lot. <laughs> it was very frustrating to me um, when this all came to be, because I remember when it all came to be, was when we um, had all the information come out that was misinformation that we should be eating low fat. And mm-hmm. there is a genetic type that should eat a lower fat diet, but it's a small percentage of the genetic types. And so all of a sudden, everyone's eating low fat, high carb. And if you're eating high carb and really low fat, you're hungry every couple hours because you're turning yourself into a sugar burner. So that's the problem. And then everyone capitalized on it. It's crazy. Mm. So can you be a fat burner even if you're eating some fruit and some sweet potato every day? Because I've gone through the whole keto thing. I was experimenting a few months ago and I was testing um, my ketones and I was only really in ketosis, like if I was being quite strict. So can I technically be in a fat burning state without having really high ketones? Does that make sense? So you don't need to be in ketosis to burn fat. When you're in ketosis, you're burning ketones. Got it. So, you know, in order to burn fat, you have to have, your body needs to be insulin sensitive and you need to have, so good sleep is super key. So what, what is really important for someone to be able to be a good fat burner? Number one, they need to be a good sleeper because if even one poor night of sleep, you're more insulin resistant a whole week, even more. So you're eight to nine hours of sleep. You need to be doing exercise, especially burst style training and resistance training. One of the first places we become more insulin sensitive is in the muscle. You need to be giving yourself long stretches without food where insulin can come back down to fasting levels and your body can access stored fat for fuel. You need to make sure you're not dehydrated because that raises stress hormones. You want to make sure your stress hormones are not up because that can create insulin resistance too. You want to have good gut microbiome because if you've got the wrong balance of something called formicutes to bacteroides, you'll be more in fat storing than fat burning. So there's all sorts of stuff. And I think we want to pick one thing and go, oh, you need to be in keto. Well, no, no, no. You don't... you're burning ketones when you're in ketosis. Mm. So you actually just want to have your body so that it's insulin sensitive, right? And that you haven't jacked it with food all day long. So it doesn't need to access stored fat for fuel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. All right. Amazing. So what would you, let's just say one of our listeners right now has been on and off of all the diets in the world the past, you know, five years. And she really wants to lose like 10 or 20 pounds. And, you know, every time she starts a new diet or way of eating and she gets really motivated the first few days and then crashes and then ends up failing, what would you say to somebody who just keeps being in, like going, putting herself in this cycle of dieting, crashing, binging, burning? Well, so this is why we've got to look at all of this differently. Use a diet for a short term. Maybe it's for anywhere from a week to three months to learn things. Take take from that and put it in and make a habit out of it. Get that into your life and then go to the next thing. 
and make sure there are things that you really can sustain that don't set you up. And if you're in the cycle of binging and all that, you got to figure out why that is. Is it is it an emotional eating issue, in which case you need to go work on that, right? Is it a blood sugar instability issue? If that's the case, you need to work on balancing your blood sugar. Is it a gut microbiome issue? Like what is going on? Work on that and fix that. And on top of all of that, the most important thing, because I feel like we come from all of this with a an undertone of disbelief, failure, and self-loathing which will never set you up for success. You know, it's like if you come from instead going, all right, what is my big, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point behind this? Get a really clear vision of where you want to be with everything. And then you take the first step. If you need to lose 30 pounds, you're not losing 30 pounds this month. And Mm -hmm. if you start to change your habits, you can, it's not about losing 30 pounds. It's about changing your whole metabolism so that you effortlessly lose that weight, but more importantly, keep it off forever. And so that's really about changing habits so that you live like a healthy, lean person, and then you will become one. Absolutely. And I really believe that a lot of binging, like most binging, probably is something emotional going on and a way to deal with stress just as much as going out for a cigarette or having a drink. Like I really think it's an addiction for so many people. Right. And so I've got a great gal, Trisha Nelson, who actually trains health coaches on how to be healing hunger coaches. This is her whole platform, and she is amazing. She's got a book called Heal Your Hunger. So that's what I would throw out to everybody is Heal Your Hunger. That's a really good one. I send everybody who um, has issues with emotional eating over to her. Amazing. Thank you so much. So one last question I like to ask some guests. I'm really into morning routines. I have this nice morning routine that I do that sets me up for the day and I'm obsessed with it. I'm also so mm-hmm. interested in hearing about other successful people's morning routines and, and what they do. So let's just say that you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. What do you do that ensures that you'll bounce back and have an amazing day? So this is what's so awesome. So first thing that happens is I see my little puppy. So that's very exciting. My, my dog sleeps in bed with me and my husband, I admit it. And she is like completely snuggled up. Sometimes I wake up and I look over and her face is on the pillow right next to my face, which is, um, she's so darn cute, but I wake up in the morning and we have a really cool alarm. I generally wake up without an alarm, but if I am waking up with an alarm, I have this one called a Phillips alarm clock that mimics sunlight. I have that too. It's it's the baddest ass thing ever. So, you know, that comes up and then little birdies tweet. And so, and then, and then Tim goes and gets me my, I don't do bulletproof with the fat. I just do straight black, but he does my bulletproof beans. And sometimes we'll do a little foamed up coconut milk. So that's my little morning thing. And then I do my intentioning. Um, and depends on what I'm working on at the time, my gratitude and intentioning. And then I do my brain work because my best time where I'm like the most highest value is first thing in the morning. So depending on what program project, et cetera, I'm working on, that's when I do my brain dump on it. So that's it. I don't work out first thing in the morning because it's my time to, um, think I do that middle of the day. Cause that's my kind of my reset. Some people will meditate middle of the day for me, my workouts, my meditation. Mm, amazing. So for your intentions and gratitude, do you just write a list every morning or just think about it in your head? 
So I really believe in putting pen to paper. I find yeah. that it's like there's just something about getting it on paper and writing down that makes it real. And for me, I've always found that, you know, I don't worry about how this, the thing is going to happen. I put the why down and then I just let some, you know, then my brain will start to try to answer all the questions as to how this is going to happen. But I always start with my big, you know, the big crazy. And I've had some ridiculously crazy big goals and I've always hit them as long as I just go with the why first, you know, Law of attraction. Uh, yes. <laughs> Amazing. I love that so much. That's so nice. What a great morning routine. Yes, it is. Uh, I think it's pretty classic. Like from I ask a lot of people about their morning routines, and it seems like a lot of us have the similar lot of success leaves clues out there, you know? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And I've noticed that when I don't do my morning routine, sometimes I'll go through like a week phase where I just don't do it because I'm not in that mindset. And I have the worst week. Like it really, really yeah, changes everything. You get off your groove. Exactly. Well, I think we are done here. We're at 40 minutes. JJ, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so, so excited to to release this podcast. I think everyone's going to love it. Time flies. It does. Super fun. So do you, uh, can you quickly tell our listeners where to find you, Instagram, um, and you know, all your socials? You know, the easiest thing is to go to jjvirgin.com and that's where my link is to my podcast and my social stuff. I mean, I do a lot of Instagram and Facebook blogs and podcasts. Those are my things. Oh, and YouTube. We just started doing a lot more on YouTube too. Amazing. It's all our things. Yeah. So much to do nowadays. My gosh. Like I know it's crazy. Never ends. (laughs) It's never ending. You need to be on every single platform. Oh my gosh. Uh. <laughs> Thanks so much, JJ. Thank you.